What's good, y'all? Welcome back to another episode of Outside the Clutch. I am your host, John. Um, hopefully, some of you guys have been here before. If not, we're uh, we're gonna have a good time. So tonight, I have someone that's been a bit of an inspiration for me. Uh, I like a lot of the projects that he's working. I like his passion for the industry and uh, a lot of the stuff that he does. Um, if you haven't heard by now, you should know. I mean, that's probably why you're here in the first place is uh, Mr. Bob Boo is going to be our guest tonight. While he's getting set up, we're going to talk about some stuff. So if you haven't found out already, if you haven't listened to the last episode, we are now on all major podcast platforms. That means your Apple podcast, your Amazon Music, uh, Google Podcasts. I'm waiting for the verification, but that should be up this week. Pretty much anything that you want to listen to outside the clutch podcast on, you can now go to. I would so much appreciate your support on all that. That's huge for what we're doing. Um, I never really thought that this would get beyond YouTube and the fact that we're pushing it beyond that and making it not only this visual, but and only audio and be able to push to the masses is amazing. If you do want to support that, there is a link for that down below. Um, we're going to be talking about a lot of different stuff tonight, so hold on to your butts. Before we do that, uh, I just want to give a huge shout out to our sponsors. You guys should know them. Here we go. Here at Outside the Clutch, we're honored to be sponsored by VivTech. Are you ready for innovation? Tired of the same boring product that's been used for 30 years? Ready to give your reptiles and amphibians the UVB they really deserve? Then look no farther than VivTech. Their 3 watt LED bulb provide the UV rays your animals have been missing. With 3 bulbs to fit your pet's climate needs for optimal husbandry, plus a dimmable feature, and it's the only bulb with a 2 year warranty in the industry. So what are you waiting for? Go to VivTechProducts.com today Use code FCLUTCH0322 for 10% off to provide your animals the best care they've ever had. Mr. Bob Boo! I love that. that that's like, that's a perfect name to hype up like that. <laughs> it's like a ball python breeder's name, huh? Hell yeah. This is the greatest. So uh, before we get into all of that, can we get, can we get some background on you like you as a person before reptiles came into your life and like growing up and what the focus was in your life yeah uh guys excuse me if you guys find any food in my teeth i just got done with dinner but um so uh so it's kind of funny you asked because uh early this week i went to a show in nashville and one of my friends holly uh told me she's fairly new into the industry she's like two years into the industry and uh, I, we took her out to dinner and we're, we're just sitting at dinner. And she said, hey, can we ask you some questions about your, your background? I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? And she was saying, like, what she heard was that uh, I had started with a two million dollar um, like, I don't know. It's not a loan because I don't have to pay it back. It was like a two million dollar gift from my parents to like invest into ball pythons. And that's how I kind of got like all of this built. And I told her I was like, uh, and, and her concern her main concern was that like, well, most people are not going to make it in this industry because they don't have that, you know, rich parents or, or, or something like that. And so I had to explain, you know, I, I kind of gave her the whole rundown with my background, what I did before uh, reptiles and all that. So I guess I'll, I'll give that um, again today. 
before reptiles, I mean, before breeding snakes full time, uh, I, I was I was working in insurance. And the reason I got into insurance is uh, my degree. I want to graduate college. My degree is in psychology and sociology. So the job market is just like just crap. Right? I graduated college in 2011 and I just could not get a job like, a, you know, anything like pay, that paid decent. So I, I tried a few other things. You know, I, I, w- I played cards for a living for a year. Um, I, I would travel right. back and forth and play these poker games in um, in Florida. And uh, so I finally landed this like uh, insurance sales gig, which uh, if, if you guys are familiar with the insurance industry, they just hire pretty much anybody. Uh, they're, they're kind of, their thing is like volume. They just want a ton of people to sell, go sell insurance to all their friends. And then the turnover, turnover to the next person. So when I first got started, my parents were like, that's, you know, that's not going to last. Maybe my brother was like, that's not going to work, you know, but you should try it out anyways, just to, you know, get some work experience. Um, and it turns out I'm really good at sales. I'm really good at selling stuff. So, uh, I did insurance from 2012 till, um, Till well, it will in 2012. I got promoted to become a supervisor and then later on a director for an insurance company. And in 2014 and 15, I was making good money doing insurance uh, as a director, and I was pouring all of my money back into snakes. Um, I, ha- I hatched my first clutch of ball pythons in 2009. Um, so you know, for everybody else, like wondering how, like, how long I've been doing this and how long it takes to go full time. Uh, I did it kind of slow. I, I bought my first ball, like my first investment ball python in 2007. I went to Daytona, uh, the National Reptile Breeders Expo, and I bought a pastel male for $500. So for those of you with the context of how much ball pythons were back then, I bought a pastel male for $500. And uh, the following year, I bought a spider female for $350 cash, I drove to a guy's house in Tampa and I bought a spider female for $350 cash. And I, you know, the bumblebee was like, when you, when I went to the Daytona show in 2007, the bumblebees were like $1,500, $1,400. And that's something I really wanted to produce. Well, I ended up getting my first clutch in 2009. And then 2010, I produced a lesser bee, which was kind of a big deal. 2011, I made pewter bees and and sterlings and all these cool stuff, you know, for back then, it was really cool. Well, in 13, 14, 15, I started um, stockpiling some animals. And my wife tells this story all the time when she had first met me. Uh, I was breeding and producing animals, but I didn't sell anything. I kept everything. I was just like, oh, it's a female. Throw it on the shelf. Literally, like, pastels, single-gene pastels. I was keeping the females. I kept everything. Um, and then 2000 and, um, end of 2015 towards 2016, we had just moved to the house in Warner Robins and I called my boss and told him, uh, I'm going to quit and breed snakes full time. And he thought I was crazy because I was, you know, I was making six figures selling insurance and, uh, training his agents for him. And I told him, I'm like, look, I'm going to do this, this snake thing. I really love it. And he goes, cool, call me in six months uh, when you need your job back. We'll, we'll save your office. Uh, so you can see everybody was pretty confident in the snake thing. Uh, and I just knew I could do it. I just I really thought I could do it because I thought that if I loved it enough um, that even if the money, like even if I have to take a pay cut to do it, at least I would enjoy it. And we have been uh, very, very fortunate. Um, the industry has been behind us this whole time. Um, 
it just seems like things just fall into place when you, you know, when you can, and, and people tell me all the time how lucky I am and how things just fall into place. And I said, yeah, it really does. When you put in, you know, uh, 50, 60 hours a week, things just kind of fall into place when you work hard enough. It's super easy, right? It's so easy when you work hard enough, things just come super easy. And it's been, we've been very fortunate, you know, like on a Saturday at nine o'clock at night, uh, we're sitting down for an interview to, to gain more traction to get, you know, to steal right. some of your followers, really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure if they're on my channel, they're, uh, I mean, hopefully I can bring some new people to you, but more than likely they know you before they know me. At this yeah. Point. But since, since then we've been going full time since 2016. Uh, and it's been a journey, man. We've been uh, upgrading, improving, and we got into this new building in 2020 during COVID. I had a really good friend, Stephen Davis uh, built this snake room for me. It's, it's amazing. It's perfect. Um, however, um i've been talking to the wife we're kind of considering moving and building a bigger building uh because i'm kind of out of space uh, i thought this was going to be a lot of space it's perfect and i love the way everything's laid out but i just want um, a little bit more space we want a bigger yard we want uh i want to have a, a field of grass where i can put out some aldabra tortoises and some emus and stuff like that so we just want more more yard i have two acres now i would like 10 acres or something like that you know so well, well, that's yep, not that's that the, hard to find in Georgia, man. That's oh, the, I mean, Georgia is like, wild. Like I'm finding like six, seven acre property. homes easily. Yeah, it's a lot of land. Uh, but really, I don't, I don't want to keep pushing this because a lot of California guys and Texas guys are moving out here and they're buying up everything and, and property value is going up too high. And it's just not it's makes makes shopping a little harder. But yep, oh, that's the quickie, you know, introduction. <laughs> Most definitely bro. feel that. Um, so when you decided to take the leap. Where were you at? Like, how many how many animals did you have? What did you like? What was your main concern at that time, too? Because that's that's something where you have to decide that it's a big leap of faith on your part. And which I mean, everything you do, you seem to do at full speed, all out, which I applaud. It's it's hard to do so many things that way, but uh, you definitely push everything in that manner. But what, right, like, so what was mindset and everything going into the. The, the one thing is like it's such a drastic change to go because I used to, you know, suit up, suit and tie every morning. I go into the office at eight o'clock and then, you know, I'll, I'll get out at four or five o'clock. I go home, do snakes. And so in 2015, 2016, 16 was when I decided I'm going to go full time, apply for, you know, all that, all the licensing and everything went full time. Um, the way the push was, was because uh, so my wife, now my wife. Uh, was still in nursing school. So it made it very difficult because she's not making any money. She's in school. Um, so we're like, okay, there's only one income, which is my income. But we had a nest egg that was like kind of a cushion. I was like, you know, if something were to happen, if this really doesn't absolutely just sucks, um, I can always go back to the insurance job. Uh, I was a very good salesman. So I can just always go back to that. Um, but we made a little over $100,000 um, the year before that in, uh, in 2015 in snakes, right? So I'm like, if I can make $100,000, six figures in snakes, uh, even if, I, you know, 2016 sucked, we have a bad season, whatever, we're still going to, you know, break $75,000, $80,000. And, you know, in Georgia, $75,000, $80,000 is good money um, for the cost of living here. And we would be able to maintain and she can still go to school. We, and she graduates the following year, we were going to be good. And one day I came back from a show a Repticon show and I did a little over $7,000 at the show. And uh, so Mary comes to me and she goes, Hey, 
if you're doing so good at these shows, right, and you can only do so many shows because of your work schedule, she said, if you imagine if you are able to do, you know, 15, 20, 30 shows a year um, and don't have to report in on Monday because you dread Mondays. I come in, I got to do numbers. I have to yell at people who suck the following week. I mean, the week before because I was a director and all that stuff. And I hated it. I hate firing people. I know that's the worst part about the job was firing people. Um, so I, I, you know, I was like, you know what, you're right. So I went in and, and, you know, dropped the job. Um, and into, and a lot of people ask me, how do you build the, the name around like the recognition around it? So in 2018 and 19, um, my friend Trev, who runs the shows with me, uh, sent me our schedule from those two years. He sent it to me a few months ago. We did 40 shows, both of those years. Yeah. 40 shows. So every, every month I did three shows, um, or more. And we did uh, 40 shows both of those years. I mean, those were like literally I come home, I get everything prepped, I feed everything. And then literally Friday, I'm heading out, heading to another show. But the reason we did that was because I wanted the name recognition. I wanted to be at a show. And when you walk through the door, you're looking for me because I was at the last show. I was at the next. I'm at the next show. I'm at every show. And at that time, I just wanted that recognition. Uh, I want people to know that I'm a trustworthy vendor. Um they bought a snake from me three months ago. They can see me again in three months at the next show and they can get another snake from me, stuff like that. Um, so that was how we built the name and, and the, you know, the logo and you know how easy it is to recognize. But now we're kind of backing off of it a little bit because now that people do recognize the logo and the name, we want to increase, um, kind of put in the scarcity and like the rarity of our, our appearance. So now you can only see us once a year, like because I'm only in Daytona once a year. So I'm only in Florida once a year. I'm only in St. Louis twice a year. I'm only in Texas twice a year. I don't want to be at every show because now they'll be like, OK, I'll just buy it from you next show. So now we're starting to drop our show schedule down a little bit. Um, we're, uh, but for you newer vendors, I would say hit up all your local shows, get the locals to know you uh, and trust you, you know, get advice from you and stuff like that. And then as your name becomes more recognized, you notice Justin only vends like four shows a year because he doesn't need to be there. But then people come out and want to see him. They're like, oh, my God, I need to go to this show because this is one of the only ones Justin vends at. So we kind of um, wanted to use that model a little bit. So now we're backing it off. We're doing maybe one show a month. And that's kind of fun for us. It's actually really nice. I get to take weekends like this off and just hang out because normally I'd be at a show right now. You know, I wouldn't be able to sit down and just have this uh, this little interview. Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Like when I when I put the feelers out for this, I was like, man, he's at a show right now. Like, a hundred bucks says he's gonna be like, oh, I got a show next weekend. <laughs> yeah, right. So I'm I, I'm off this week. It's really nice. This month's been good. I did a I did a show last weekend. I'm off this week. Next weekend, I'm taking the weekend off so I can go herping. Like literally taking the whole weekend off to go herping, and that's like the best thing. You can schedule things off just to do the things you enjoy. Once you've already put in the you no know, the year or two years of the grind, you, it, it all pays off, and you can kind of just back off of it a little bit. And it's been it's been nice to kind of reap those benefits. Oh yeah, what was uh what was some of your business plans, so to speak? Like you you're very business savvy. You give a lot of advice to everybody. Um, so for those that feel the itch to turn this into full-time like you have what's what's some of the plan that you would say to put together um i would say first of all take it easy you notice a lot of people are going or take it you know take it kind of slow you notice a lot of people like they bought their first two ball pythons three months ago and they're like well what if i do this for a living you know i was talking to my buddy chris uh, who vends with me 
And we're like, you know, we me, I met him in 2011 when I first graduated college. Uh, we did our first joint project together. We bred a Mojave to his normal. Literally, that was our joint project. And uh, we never, never in 2011 even thought about we'd ever do this for a living. We were like, man, if we make some Mojaves, we can hold back all the females. And then next year, you know, we'll have these sub-adult Mojaves. And then in 2012, we can have um, 2013, we can have super Mojaves, you know, stuff like that. We never even imagined doing this for a living. Uh, the main reason is I, I just never thought I was experienced enough, you know, uh, uh, egg bound females or umbilical twists or uh, animals not eating. I didn't know a lot of that stuff, but now I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people rush into it. And I said, give it a few years. Let You don't even know if you enjoy this yet. Honestly, you might hate ball pythons. Six months later, you might think ball pythons are so stupid. I don't even know why people even get into it. You know, you might not even enjoy the species itself before you enjoy the business. And then you might go to a USARC auction and think, man, these guys are nuts, you know, because those auctions get pretty wild. Like someone just paid $3,000 for an inflatable penis. Like why the, you know, and, it, it, and you might, that might not be your speed. So I say take it slow, um, kind of build your, your uh, inventory up, build up your, your, your fleet. Um, I see a lot of people just say, hey, how many breeder females you got? I'd be like, uh, you know, like, what do you have for sale? And I'm just like, it's not very good stuff. And they're like, we want it. As long as it has ovaries, they want it because they just want eggs. And I understand that, you know, you, you get in, you have the itch to cut because or, or the itch to hatch stuff because everyone's hatching stuff. Social media has made the world of ball python smaller, right? So because everyone knows what everyone else is doing because as soon as you hatch something, you want to show it off. Right. Um, but take your time. I think take your time and enjoy the process. Enjoy learn the learning curve. Um, boy, I, I will tell you right now, when I have to assist feed my first animal, I don't know, 10 years ago, I called 20 different people, man. I said, man, this snake hasn't eaten in a month. It, it hatched, you know, a few weeks ago and it still hasn't eaten. Uh, I called everybody and, and I was just freaking out. But, you know, I couldn't even imagine having to do that. And you got a show to vent next week because you just signed up for it and you've only been doing this for six months, you know. So just slow it down a little bit. Take your time. Enjoy the process. But that doesn't mean you can't, you know, also make a few bucks in the process. You don't You don't have to go full time. But you can still make a few bucks in the process. Hey, you know, I talked to a guy, Patrick. He makes good money doing this, and he still has a, a day job. He still enjoy. You get to enjoy this on your downtime, you know, after your 9 to 5. Go back to your 9 to 5 and come home and just de-stress by coming in here and, and enjoying the process. You know, so I tell people uh, that's the biggest takeaway I've, I've had about this is just, like, enjoy the process, enjoy the species, enjoy the mutations. Uh, and, and just recognize that this could be a hobby or it could be a full-time gig for you if you are that person. This is not meant for everybody. You know that. We've seen people 100%. come and go. It's not Absolutely. meant for everybody. But if you are that person and this really drives you and you're really passionate about ball pythons and reptiles as an industry and as a hobby, then, you know, go for it. You know, um, I've done it and I'm probably one of the least likely to do it back then, 10 years ago when I first started. Um, you know, everyone's like, oh, that kid's going to flame out because I was spending a lot of money. I was buying up stuff left and right and just throwing it on the shelf. And I heard it from a bunch of vendors, you know, like the kid's never going to make it, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't have the traditional reptile guy look also, you know, or um, or uh, attitude or whatever like that, you know, which is what the industry needs. We need some new people. We need uh, different types of people. We need um, you to expand it a little man. bit. Yeah, right, right. Expand a little bit. And that's one of the things like, I think it's, 
it's almost like a drug for us at this point. Um, a lot of people will see it and they're like, oh, well, he could do it. So what means I can't do it or he's successful. So I'm going to be successful no matter what. They don't see behind the curtain. They don't see the 50, 60, 80 hours that you put into everything you do. Like, right. You just see, oh, there's this picture. This dude just put out a million dollars this year in inventory. And if you talk to consultants like I've been doing because I just graduated from business school. Um, so the whole thing when they were talking about, they were like, okay, you got to set up your business plan and you got to do this and you got to do that. So all of that for my business is set up, whether I want to keep it at hobby level or I want to push it up to full time. Right. But they were like, well, you know, the only way you're going to be successful. And if you speak to a consultant, they're always going to say this, you have to have merchandise. You have to consistently be pushing out. So it builds that mentality. And I don't know if anyone else looked into consulting or things like that, but like, that's what everyone's going to push is, okay, jump in as hard and as fast as you can and do everything you can to build your brand. Like right now, right now, you got to always be pushing forward. Right. And sometimes it's better. <laughs> Actually, I'm not even going to say sometimes like 99.99% of the time, it's better to just ease into it. Make sure it's something you want to do. Like you were saying, um, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I've had my ups. I've had my downs. There was a time before. I got my first year when I got my first five clutches and I was talking to the, one of the people mentoring me and I was like, dude, I feel like I'm always fucking up. Like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong, but I can't seem to dial everything in. Like I'm, I was on the verge of giving up. He was like, just breathe, calm down. Like, do you love the animals? That's all that matters. Do you love mm -hmm. the animals? And I was like, yeah, I love the animals, but I think I'm going to give up reading. He was like, give it one more try. Like, we'll walk through it. We'll talk through stuff. Give it one more try. And then you see me put out this goofy ass YouTube video with my first clutch where I'm like, I'm giggling the whole damn time because I'm so excited that you can't even hardly understand what I'm saying, which is, it's funny now that I think about it, but right. like, that's the excitement that you want. And a lot of people keep that. And as long as you're doing it for the love, you're going to keep that excitement, even though it doesn't always portray in your videos or things like that like you you've been doing this for a long time and so like when you're talking about stuff you're very you're you're fluid and you go through your speech very methodically right but you could still hear the undertone of excitement about everything that you're doing and that's that's one of the things that i really enjoy about your content and like what you do and do you think shows. do you think you would still uh keep ball pythons if there was no money absolutely no yeah. money in it yeah, yeah. so and i asked a lot of people that like would you keep ball pythons or reptiles over in general if there was no money involved no strings involved and if you tell me no this ain't the industry for you you know what i'm saying like <laughs> like i was losing my ass in 2013 to 15 i don't make any money because i kept everything Right. You know, uh, I wanted to hoard every animal I produced because they're all, you know, everything is cool. Everything I was hatching was cool to me. So I just wanted to keep everything, you know. And if I, I, I think asking somebody this the other day, like if you won the lottery, would you still continue to breed ball pythons? Um, and my answer was uh, I wouldn't breed to this capacity. Uh, I would probably drop down to, let's say, 20 breeder females or 10 breeder, even 10 breeder females. Uh, to where, because I don't have to worry about profit margins. I don't have to worry about, okay, I need to make sure I make this amount of money out of this project. Because uh, anytime you invest $10,000 into a male, you know you have to have five, six females lined up for him to make sure you make that money back. I don't have to do that anymore if I won the lottery, right? 
but I would still want to see what it produces. I want the process, dude. I am a, I, 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 I like, I'm a vulture over this incubator, man. When it comes down to gets a day 52, 53, I, I, I come down and peek at it every few hours, man. I am vulturing over that thing because I'm still excited about hatching eggs. So I think uh, when, when it comes to like the people, you know, will stay in the industry, even if there's no money in it, if they break even every year and they still do it. Though that's what the industry is for, is for those people. Um, and if you just happen to be a good business person, a good salesperson, then you could turn this into a thing. But I know a lot of friends that don't make any money doing this. They just hatch 10, 15 clutches a year. They break even, they get some upgrades. You can make a little bit of money on the side, a few thousand bucks, and it's fun for them. And I think that's where... I think that's where the majority of the industry needs to be at. There'll be a few guys that make great money, right? Uh, that because this is really their good business sense. And then there'll be guys who just quit because, and again, it, it sucks to see it. I, it's probably the worst thing to see is you mentor somebody for five, six months, and then they flame out because they got in too fast. So now I try to everybody, you know, kind of slow it down. Don't go from zero animals to a hundred animals in six months. You'll quit. Uh, it makes you quit so fast. That's probably the fastest um, thing that makes people quit. They go from zero to 100 because they're used to just coming down and cleaning their pet snake's cage. Now they got to come down and clean a 100 pet snake's cage, and they still haven't made any money. Um, that will make them quit pretty quick. But, yeah, man, if you're still if you're excited every time you cut an egg or you're excited every time uh, one pips, then it, this is for you. This is um, This industry is for you. And that's – I like how you said that with focusing on the salesman. So one of the things – and I, I, I'm going to plug it right now. Dave's Dave's a great friend of mine now, um, Levinson. Mm -hmm. I think I, I know uh, that guy. I know that guy. I've heard yeah. of him. Uh, seen him a couple of times around. Yeah. I mean, uh, he does some cool stuff. Um, so he was talking on an interview the other night. And the part that I really honed in on is you don't realize, like, even the people that are making money, a lot of people don't think about this. Like, the same he said it like this, the same $5,000 passes hands probably three or four times throughout mm -hmm. the show. Right. So you're making money or you're selling your product and you're upgrading, but you're not keeping that money. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what keeps this in rotation. And you, you understand that, but at the same time, the people that are able to do that sale or um, potentially have that higher end animal, which is what we all push towards in the end is who goes home and who's able to make this a profitable industry for not only themselves, but hopefully more people down the road. Yep. And uh, so one thing you touched on her, it's very important for everybody who will, will get into this even at a hobbyist level or a professional level is a mentor. Uh, you said you called your mentor and you said, Hey man, I'm, I'm ready to quit. I did the same thing. Um, I did the same thing when I had first started, I had gone into uh, it, was, it had nothing to do with animals, had nothing to do with sales, or anything. I just uh, the online process of it, you know, like the I want to say online bullying because I don't consider it bullying. Uh, well, I guess it is um, like this, the pure racism behind the reptile community at when I first started anyways. And uh, that was that part of to me was like, oh, like, wow, man, this this can't be real. Like this is, you know, it's 2016. They can't be saying this to me. Um, and you know, it, it got really bad. And I was like, man, I don't want any part of this because if, if, if everybody in the reptile community is like this, I don't want any part of it. Right. Then I kind of dialed back and I was like, it's a hundred people out of, you know, this industry is huge now, especially it's probably a hundred thousand ball python people 
uh, around, you know, it's a hundred people who are like that or who still think like that, you know? So it's like, just avoid those hundred people. It's easy, you know? Uh, but again, I have to talk to a few friends and stuff like that. And, uh, I was very lucky when I first started, I had very good mentors, um, Eugene Bassett and, uh, Albie Scholl, um, Frank Monroe, these guys, you know, like these, these guys have been breeding for a long time. You know, I got a chance to talk to them. They teach me how to set up eggs, um, you know, just going through, you know, some of the trials and, you know, with the stuff with the um, babies and stuff. I went through all the methods. If you, if you've got a method of how to hatch an egg, I've tried it and I, I figured out what I like the best. And I, now I use it. You know, I've, I've suspended eggs. I've, I've used the diffusers. I've used perlite, vermiculite, cocoa, all of it. And uh, you talk to enough guys, there's a thousand different ways to hatch a ball python egg. Um, there's a thousand ways to get a ball python to breed. Uh, you know, so it's just it's just figure out the right way for you and uh, find you a good mentor and just um, kind of uh, treat them right. And they'll they'll kind of string you along and teach you all their all their methods until it's time for you to mentor someone else. Absolutely. And I think that's it's something we harp on, man. Like we, we try to get it through to the new people and. Uh, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself, you know, like you, you get to a certain point and you're like, okay, I understand this. But once you run into that problem, that's not necessarily your first thought is let me go back to my mentor. Cause this guy's probably dealt with this a hundred freaking times in the time that he's been doing it. Right. Right. But that, that pride kicks in and you got to kind of be like, all right, quit stroking your damn ego. Just take a second. Like, do you want to do this? Do you not like, mentorship at any level is huge you can't just pretend like you know it all like there's people that have been in this industry 20 years and there's still stuff that they haven't seen um you're gonna see it every day like i i talk to my mentor earl from lone star all the time and it's it's always something new or we talk about like little intricacies that we're seeing in the animals. And it's like, do, have you noticed this before? What's been the outcome when you see this? Like right. stuff that you, you're going into more of a scientific approach of them at that point, instead of just the, oh, here's a male, here's a female. Let me throw these together. Let me right. eat them. And as long as I do that, I'm going to get eggs. And that's all that matters because there's right. a huge difference in what and, we're trying and again, to do. And again, you have to be able to adapt and learn constantly and don't, don't lie to yourself. Um, because just because someone says I've been doing this for 20 years, doesn't mean they've been doing it right for 20 years. That just means they did it for 20 years. They could have been doing it in the least efficient way possible. There's always, uh, there's a thousand ways of doing something and there's only a few right, truly most efficient, right ways of doing it. And we might not have even figured it out. We might not even know everything there's to know about ball pythons yet. I doubt, I doubt we do. You know, there's still, we're still figuring things are allelic right now. We're still figuring out new genes, how they work. And you have to be able to w be willing to, to learn, you know, and I, I've talked to some old school guys. This is how, this is how we do it. We pair once a month, every month until the female lays eggs. And I'm like, what if the follicle is not moving? What if it's not developing follicles? What if, you know, this, 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 and this. Because over here, I do it a totally different way. I only I only go for two locks, man. Some females might get one lock. Every now and then, I'll go for three locks. And I, I feel I feel that in my in my experience, that's the most efficient way for me to do it, right? Until someone comes out with data and goes, "Hey, we're getting an eighty eight percent fertility rate if we do it this way." Okay, present me that data. I'm always willing to learn, always willing to change things up in here. 
But yeah, that's that's the one thing. When new data is presented to you, you just have to be able to will, be willing to accept it, even when you're wrong in the first place. You know, if you're wrong and the new data comes to light, you just have to be willing to accept it. Um, so I think that is where um, even you and your mentor should be able to accept. You know, like when I learn new stuff, I I'm, I contact all my guys. I was like, hey man, did you know this was a thing? Like I figured out spot nose and cypress was a uh, lyric uh, a few months ago. And I messaged everybody. I'm like, did you guys know this was a thing? And they're like, no, it's not a real thing. I'm like, no, it's a thing. Uh, I've been breeding these, you know, blah, 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 blah. After this many clutches, they didn't reproduce. I went to Justin's house, asked him, and he showed me his data of 20 clutches that he's never reproduced. It's bought no Cypress animal out of that pairing. So then we can kind of combine our, our data and say, okay, conclusively, this is um, uh, allelic genes. Then I go tell these guys about it. And they're like, no way. I'm like, well. Here's 40 clutches worth of data and you guys take it for what it is, you know? So the ability to accept new data and accept that you're wrong is, uh, is huge in this industry because we're constantly finding out new things about every species, right? Uh, now that we've kept them longer in, the, in better conditions, um, like, you, like, you're, like you're a sponsor, right? With those lights. Uh, now with VipTech and, and, and all this new uh, technology, we're able to keep these animals at a better condition for them um, better enrichment, I guess, is, is could be the word, um, and we'll just find out new things about them every every year, hopefully. Well, it's it's just like that's one of the reasons I went with VivTech. One, before I even approached Ryan and Erica about sponsorship, I used their products for at least seven months. Right, like I was one of the first people when they first unveiled to grab a bolt. I've used it on my bearded dragon ever since. It'll never have anything else for UVB on or UVA on it. Right. Um, but I came in <laughs> funny. We were talking about 20 years. I came in 20 years ago, but I didn't do it at like, I didn't do a breeding thing. Like I was just, okay. Basic setup. Like I came in when the craze was heat rocks and you couldn't regulate them and you didn't worry about thermostats. You just, you plugged in a heat rock and you let it go. And I worked in a pet store and I was a kid and I didn't know any better. And, up until I got to where I was looking at it from a larger perspective. Cause I, I stayed in my little shell. I didn't reach out to people. I didn't like, I understood there's an industry, but I never went into it. So to speak, right. I don't know if that makes sense, but, uh, and so finally my wife decided that she wanted to get back into reptiles or like she wanted her first snake. And I had been in reptiles off and on for, 14 years at this point. And the only reason I didn't have them was I was active duty and we move around so much. It's just, right. it's not plausible when you're a single soldier, like you're right. living in barracks and you can't do it. Right. Otherwise you're going to face something. But anyways, um, so we get into it and I start diving into the world. I'm like, Holy crap. Like it, it's overwhelming to a degree because there's so much information over that 14 years that I missed. And even, even now, like we're, it seems like every two to three years, new mutations are popping up just because of the amount of pairings you're getting worldwide. You're finding things like, like VivTech, like they're pushing the envelope in everything that they can find to do with husbandry right now. They're eventually going to put it in other methods that I'm not allowed to divulge, though I have a little bit of a back door view to right now, which is kind of cool. And I'm super excited for all that stuff. But um, do you it's, think it's, it's, it's tough on new people because of that? It, it is and it isn't like it's it's a lot of information to take in, but I think also it 
compared to what people back in the day had to face, like people like Tom Crutchfield, when he started doing this 35, 40 years ago and just bringing animals in and having to figure out, okay, how do I keep this wild animal right, alive? Right, right, Completely different. That's got to be so wild, right? right? Like, back it, then, yeah, it was freaking, it, it's almost impossible. You're going through like probably 20, 30 specimens before you figure out how to keep something longer. Right. You don't even know. You don't know what temperature because right now, nowadays, he's like, hey, keep it between this temperature and this. You don't know what temperature, what humidity does it even need UV. Who knows? Just throw it in the tank and throw a lamp on it and hope it survives. Right. And um, it's amazing to me the amount of animals I kept growing up. And now I almost feel bad in subpar conditions. Right? I had a ball python when I was 15 years old. I had a, it was in a 10 gallon tank with reptile carpet, a half log and a lamp. And it lived and bred for me in 2009. You know, it's like it's the, the animals themselves are so amazing um, and hardy. I guess the hardy is the word. The hate, I hate that word in the reptile industry is describing how hardy a species is. That just means how much abuse it can take until it dies. That's um, how much abuse we've given it. That's the issue. Like right. We, and that's we like, figured hey, out how to keep it alive. Right. But not to make it thrive. Right. Ball, like uh, bearded dragons are the worst is one of the most hardy species. Like, it means it just can just it can just survive in in subpar conditions, you know, and I almost feel bad now looking at it back then. Ball pythons. I just because that's what I was taught. You know, I go out there to the pet store, bought a ball python. She says, OK, put this lamp on a timer. When it comes on, it will heat up the thing. And I'm like, OK, cool. You know, even when you Google it back then, that's what it tells you. You know, there's no YouTubers teaching you all this stuff, you know, but uh, and then eventually I will go to shows and ask people and and they're like, yeah, don't do that. Like, the, that lamp is useless. And then, you know, carpet, that's crap. And then back then I was just like reptile carpet is shit. You, all you go is roll it out. It poops on it. You roll it back up, wash it and do it again. And you didn't think about how much bacteria it harbors and all that BS. But somehow she managed to lay eggs in 2009. But then by, by 2009, I already built my first rack and my first rodent rack and all that in the garage. So, so <laughs> it's funny we say that. Going going into that, that's another thing that we have to take into consideration. Like this, this is an argument that I have with a lot of people, and it's not that I'm trying to set up an argument. Like I'm, I'm super OCD from my military days, right? Like I, everything needs to look a certain way. If it gets dirty, it has to be cleaned immediately. Like I, I lose, <laughs> I lose my shit, so to speak. And I'm trying to be better of it because I have kids as well, but like mm -hmm. the animals, I can, if I don't watch out, I can actually sometimes get to the point where I am over sanitizing them. And I have to be cautious of that. You don't realize that like these, these guys need a certain amount of bacteria to thrive. And that's not saying be a lazy ass and don't clean your animals and things like that. But I'm saying like, I, I was at that point, like I was using a uh, 10% bleach mixture for a while because that's what you use in a hospital. I was like, as long as I let it dry and everything's good, the animal's not going to be affected. The fumes aren't going to be there. There's not going to be an issue. But then I started looking into it and I was like, man, that's like, I'm, I'm literally killing everything within the little ecosystem that I'm creating for them. And now what if, what if I do go to a reptile show and I walk by someone with an RI or some shit and that gets on my clothes and now I come home and now it's going to be 10 times worse because they have no immune system at all and things of that nature. And it's, it's like the equivalent know. of people raising kids in a bubble, right? Yeah. 
the, the kids have never drank out of a uh, you know a faucet before. Never drank out of a water hose. Like, dude, when I was growing up, you turn on the water hose and you you sip it. You know, they've never eat dirt before you know like uh, my god i've seen some of these parents were like oh your hands are dirty i'm like i don't care dude i'm gonna eat anyways like i don't care i'm eating in my snake room right now you know but you know a little ocd goes a long way in the reptile industry i think guys who are ocd becomes the best breeders because you keep your snake room immaculate which is very important in the reptile world in my opinion look at this like right now i think this room is pretty dirty because of this pile of tubs right behind me right here. Uh, it's like 20 tubs that need to be washed. But um, a little OCD goes a long way in a, in a reptile community, man. But um, and there's a, guy, a lot of guys where I wish they were OCD because I've seen some I've seen some facilities, man, in my day. I've seen some that that definitely need some of that 10 percent bleach. Oh, you I mean, I've I've been into some where you don't even have to make it within their room. You can smell it when you walk. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm not eating anything you offer me. If it comes out, <laughs> I'm not taking anything home. I'll look at your animals all day. Right. I'll burn my clothes when I go home. Right. Uh, I'm not sexing uh, your snake for you. No, I'm not touching it. <laughs> oh, man. So uh, the one of the things that I love about you, Bob, is you're a huge advocate for U.S. art. Yes. And uh, you not only with being a member, but in support in all aspects, you talk about it all the time. Um, you're a huge supporter at all the auctions that you attend. You're uh, I don't even know how to explain it, man. Like at the auctions, you're kind of like the life of the party there. There's there's times where we're like, OK, who's it going to be? And I, I, I know I've done it a couple of times and I've looked at you and be like, I know I ain't got the money, but I'm going to keep going just to see. What's so I feel like the, so the auctions are so much fun for me. I enjoy them a lot. Honestly, I do enjoy them a lot. And when I first started attending these auctions, it was in Daytona. I'm watching these big dogs like spend big money on this stuff. And I'm like, God, that's so freaking stupid. Like, why would they spend two, $3,000 on Jello or, or any of the dumb stuff that I have now hanging in my room? Um, but we all see it different, right? So I sit down with C uh, Chris Nettles from Sea Serpent, and he was talking to me about it. And the reason we spend all this money, well, first of all, if you're good enough and you're smart enough, there's a tax write-off for you. But obviously not the reason we do this because you're spending $20,000 to get you know, $5,000 worth of write-offs. Not the best way to do it. There's better ways you can spend your money to get tax write-off. But um, we spend the money to keep this industry going, right? We have to understand... USARC is the thing keeping the government from reaching into this industry and just shutting it all down. Um, nine, let's say nine out of 10 people you meet in the streets already don't like reptiles. And the reason they don't like reptiles is because they're uneducated about reptiles. Uh, they just don't like it because all their parents have ever told them is a good snake's a dead snake. So our industry is already in, in the negative eye. Um, you know, the media makes us look like bad guys. Uh, we're a bunch of sleazy people. And, and I see these videos all the time about the reptile shows. Oh, look, they put them in these little cups. They live in these little cups their whole lives and all this BS. He does great about that. Right. And then they zoom in on the very small issues that our industry has. The same thing with the gun industry, right? They zoom in. They're like, look, this guy got um, got bit by a 18-foot snake, and then there's a cobra loose in Florida and all this stuff. They zoom in on the very few incidents, just like the gun industry, 
And eventually they're going to come in and they're going to say, hey, um, big, big government style. They're going to come in and say, hey, maybe you guys don't need to keep any of that crap. And they would just shut it all down because in the ignorant people's eyes, a python's a python. It doesn't matter if it's a five foot python, a Burmese python, reticulated python. Sure, that animal is potentially dangerous, but there are responsible keepers out there. Don't zoom in and uh, use the, 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 the irresponsible breeders and to paint the picture on all of us. That's what USARC stands for, right? USARC is going to stand up and say, hey, uh, there are those of us out here passionate and make, first of all, that a lot of us uh, depend on this, our livelihood. But 100%. it goes wider than that, right? Because uh, now they're just reaching into our, our, our rights as Americans to keep pets. Um, because what's next, right? They First of all, they, they'll try to take away berms, ticks, anacondas, um, uh, let me see. So you got berms, ticks, Rock anacondas, tegus, iguanas, you know, stuff like that, right? But then what qualifies as a dangerous reptile, right? So they're like, obviously, a berm or retic can get over 18 feet, 20 feet at 200 pounds. Yes, you can argue those are dangerous reptiles. But then the fear mongering begins and they say, well, you know, a boa constrictor can get 12 feet. And between me and you 12 foot yeah that's a big snake but then at what point are you going to say okay that's not a big snake anymore is it nine foot is it six foot because i know dumb people and mo uh, i've heard dumb people say oh that snake's sizing you up and they're pointing at a ball python that's you know four and a half feet long and that snake is sizing me up i get it i'm not a tall guy but come on you know and to a person that is not in the reptile community, a six-foot snake is a huge snake to them. Six foot is huge, right? But in the snake world, a six-foot snake is really a small snake, you know? And everyone and their mom thinks they have a six-foot ball python for some reason. You don't, okay? 99% of ball pythons will never see past five feet. And these people think, oh, my God, he has a six-foot snake. That's huge. But so bro. that's... That's I, I, I imported this and they said it was a Volta and it's like seven and a half feet and it Volta. gives me 30 eggs a year. Right, right, right. It was 8,000 grams. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I've been keeping snakes a long time and I've not seen, I've not seen an eight foot ball python, but you keep hearing stories about it, right? right. But that's where the fear mongering is going to come in because once they pass one bill, right, they say, hey, um, I think the new bill is a whitelist bill. Okay, the whitelist bill means they have to manually put every species that they deem that we should be able to keep on the list. Now, the guys making these lists are not very educated. That's that's to be like they're politicians. So they're making these lists and they're like, okay, that sounds good. Okay, uh, corn snake sounds pretty sounds pretty safe to me. Uh, garter snake sounds pretty safe to me. Anaconda, ooh, that's dangerous. Put that off the list. Uh, reticulated python, put that off the list. Ball python, well, what if they're not educated and there's a python, put that off the list. That's the all it needs to happen is that one incident of that happening, right? Ball python people always feel like they're invulnerable. They feel like they're, that no, nothing's ever going to touch the ball python industry. But even if nothing ever touches the ball python industry as a reptile keeper and lover, you should try to protect your friends. I, my, some of my best friends uh, breed reticulated pythons and Burmese pythons. You know, I, so, and they're passionate about it. You know, my friend Matt Bowers, he doesn't do this for a living. 
he just breeds a few clutches because he loves the species. But I would hate for one day to him not be able to do that because the irresponsible keepers out there and they put it on the list, even though he's one of the most responsible berm keepers out there, he only breeds two clutches a year because he sources and he, he, uh, he goes through and he vets everyone he sells to, you know? Uh, and I would hate for one day for him to wake up and they say, Hey, you can't keep these anymore. even though he's in 12 years, you know? So that's why we donate. And that's even though ball pythons aren't on the chopping block, we're still going to constantly, Donate money because we we make a great living doing this as it is. You know, I sell a ball python for three thousand dollars. I can afford to put a few bucks back from that sale to donate to a uh, to a, a organization that keeps this business going. You know, and I see a lot of these guys. I go to shows, and all of a sudden, auction time comes. They disappear on me. Anytime that USARC that USARC group walks around asking for donations, they disappear on me. I'm I'm watching you. Well, so, I mean, I'm so I I was biased about it, right? Like I, especially at the beginning of this year, just because I've I've tried to do as much as I can. Like obviously, financially, I can only do so much, right? I'm not I'm not really that well off, though. I'm not hurting, so I help where I can. Um, but. I, I like to do events or I like to at least donate at every auction. Like I, I tell my wife every show we're putting a, a minimum of $300 towards every auction. Right. That's, right. that's, that's just my thing. Right. And I make sure I have my membership. And the big thing that I always argued, especially at the beginning of this year, and I, I've, I've heard a couple of counter arguments and I understand it. And I'm not saying that it's swayed, but I, I've become more, I'm not even going to say compassionate, just more understanding of other people's perspectives. Right. Um, not everyone believes that they should have to, especially if they're donating extra. And my, my major argument to it is if you understand anything about the bureaucratic system, anything about how laws work, anything about how <laughs> these guys will throw anything in to get what they want. And they don't really care because they're getting paid by a lobbyist to sign it. Right. Plain and simple. Well, if they're not reading through it and you're not fighting it and you don't have a group where it shows a solid mass of numbers that will potentially create a disruption in your policies, they're not going to care. And uh, unfortunately, the numbers for U.S. art aren't what I think they should be, especially with how many breeders we have in the country, um, let alone the world. Like, obviously, it's just we're focused here right now. But you got to look at places like Canada, where a lot of provinces right now are losing complete rights to keep reptiles. Right. Um, right. The rules in the U.K. are getting insane right now. Um, they actually shut down their biggest show, their only show that they've had lost its venue because of the animal rights over there right. and it's it's happening worldwide so the fact that it's happening everywhere else you think they're not going to make a precedence of it here right. like we're we're not only the leader in freedom we're the leader in all the dumb shit that happens in the right. world too as much as i think i'm not trying to get everyone to come to a show and donate two yeah. three thousand dollars that's not what i'm trying to no, say sure. you know donate what you can uh get a membership the thing again, remember the starting membership for USARC is forty dollars a year. Okay, that's that's really not a lot of money. Um, and the the number, the staggering number from last year was that I think USARC had fifteen hundred members last year. Fifteen hundred members. 
that's smaller than most ball python facebook groups uh retic facebook groups merm facebook groups whatever it is so we just need more membership uh more support financial support but also you know call your uh representatives and stuff like that now it, would i be opposed if they were to let's say tweak the ban right they tweak it I would be down for that. They say, okay, uh, you guys all shouldn't be able to keep berms and retics. You need to show responsibility. That's fine. But they're coming out for these all-out all bans. They're attacking the industry with all-out bans. Like, do I think everyone should be able to keep a retic? No, I do not. Uh, as an American, I should say yes, because we should be able to keep whatever the hell we want. But should a 12-year-old buy a retic? No. That's freaking stupid. Uh, should a 12-year-old buy a Socata tortoise? No. Uh, those are animals I feel that need to be regulated. And the reason I feel that way is because I work closely with the animal sanctuary 10 minutes from here. We get Socata tortoises weekly. Every week, someone offers or wants to drop off a Socata tortoise that we do not have the room for. Uh, these are destructive, large animals that need bet they need better. They need better from people. Uh, these people are irresponsible. They'll buy us uh, socadas about this big for 50 bucks. You know, three years later, it's running through their wall, drywall, you know. So do we need regulations for these? Of course we do. You know why? The regulations is not because the government needs to control us or blah, blah, blah. I really don't give a crap about that. These animals deserve better. Um, the amount of retics, the amount of socadas, the amount of berms, um, tegus, now monitors that get dropped off at the sanctuary they drop like this is how crappy it is dude they drop them off in the morning before the gates open in a box and leave um and i we we see that all the time and all we all we can do is take them in and try to get them to good health and adopt them out but how many people are willing to adopt a 180 pound socata you know or a 12 foot right. berm that is angry or a 12 foot retic that bites every time you open a cage right you know so I am for regulation of certain species. I am uh, I'm anti-banning of any species um, just because there are responsible keepers out there. And they're like, well, we don't we shouldn't have to get a permit. You know what? If you're a responsible keeper and you love the species, you will go and get the permit. Um, the permit all in my most friends places that, aren't even hard. Right. right. Uh, I think it, even in Florida, the class three. But again, Florida is trying to just all, go for the all out ban. Um, can you blame Florida? It's tough to. But then. Again, the argument on the other side is that berms only travel so far north in Florida. Remember, I go herping every few months down there. We know how far we can catch a, a berm. We know how far north we can go to before we don't see any more berms. And um, I've seen an 18-foot berm in the wilds of Florida. That was last year. This time last year, I saw an 18-foot berm in, in Florida, a wild one. Um, but they only stay in like three counties in Florida. So the rest of the counties, should they be punished because three counties is running rampant with berms and ticks and uh, no, no ticks, never seen a retic. Uh, but iguanas and, and tegus, you know, they're like, oh, iguanas is a problem down here. I'm like, look, that's a permanent problem. You're not going to get rid of them iguanas. OK, they're, they're just mass it's producing now. down there. Yeah, they're done. just there. But they're only traveling so far north. You know, so, yeah, if you want to ban them as pets in those counties, sure, do that if you wanted to or just force people to register. If you have a berm, you should register it or you have a retake, you should register it just like we do venomous. If you have a venomous reptile, you should register it. Why should we do that? Well, if you have a cobra, your neighbor should have the right to know, because how many times have we seen a cobra get loose in the neighborhood? Those people should know that's your cobra and you should be responsible for anyone's death 
or injury. That's manslaughter. 100%. You know, so if you own a Cobra, your neighbor has the right to know, just like, you know, anything else. But anyways, I, I, I never, you know, I, I, I told you, I, I got, go you, bro. These, these I got you, bro. I understand yeah. it. Like, so unfortunately in Texas, it's super easy. Oh yeah. Um, you, you have no class three. So for me to keep my retics, I do have to have a permit. That permit consists of me walking to my local sporting goods shop and, and getting, getting a herping license. Right. That's it. No, like no inspection, no nothing. No, there's no permits here at all. Exactly. There's no like if I can get I can buy a berm or retic. There's no permits in Georgia at all. Zero. And I, I understand a lot of people that look beyond it, but like I, I can tell you at this point, my largest retic is about 10 feet right now. Mm-hmm. And a young she's, man. So young yeah, she's young. She's a baby. Yeah. She's yeah. she's. I've had her since she's had probably two meals in her. So she right. knows me. I know how to work her. And even then, there's times where she gets a little fidgety, mm-hmm. and I, I unfortunately have some disabilities from my time in the military, and it becomes difficult with her at ten feet to right. handle by myself. And right. I can't handle her with my wife because my wife is super tiny. Uh, <laughs> poor girl, just she can't deal with that strength. Right. Um, so I have to have one of my friends that I used to work with, who's about the same size as me. Is like, hey, you see this? I need you to do this. And I've so yeah. I've I've essentially turned him into a reptile keeper without him knowing he was going to be a reptile keeper. But right. um, that's how it goes. But it's it's such an easy process in most states, and even with venomous, because I worked venomous for a little while, and then kids figured out kid locks and i was like uh okay it's time for those to go and again and it doesn't like have anything anything it. it doesn't have to be anything extreme you know like each state can just regulate it however they regulate it might require a certain amount of hours and training for venomous which i feel is necessary um but like for a berm or retic just register it you know that way uh people are talking about oh these animals are all being released like that's how the media wants to play it out right oh these people are just releasing all their pets look man ain't nobody releasing a thousand dollar retic they bought at repticon Okay, they'll throw that on Facebook Marketplace for 300 bucks before they do that, you know. So, they're they're, but again, if an animal is being released, it's a pet, scan it, boom, chip it, boom, you know exactly who released it. Then we can go back, and if you're punishable by the state, you're probably not going to release these animals because you know you registered it when you bought it. So, I think that's a good way of regulating it, but that's beside the point. Uh, anyways, uh, join you, Sark, uh, donate your money. Uh, and it's a, it's so much fun, man. The auctions are so much fun. We have a blast every time. Me, Josh, Jackie, the whole crew. Uh, you know, we go out there and just drink. I mean, the, it start every auction starts off with like twenty bottles of liquor. I think it still feels like that and Jello shots. And you know, everybody just has a good time. So if you haven't been to a USARC auction, like a major one, uh, Tinley, Arlington, Daytona, those auctions get a little wild. Um, if you have children, leave them in the room. Uh, but I mean, cause I mean, you know, Potter gets a little wild. Uh, he gets a little wild here. And, you After know, he you gets the second or third drink and you don't yeah, know. You know what? You never know what he's going to say. You know, you know, he means well, you know, and again, all of it is to raise money. A hundred percent of it is to raise more money for you, Sark. It's all it's for good, for the good of the community. You know, so can't blame him. Hell yeah. Um, so I can't believe we've already gone an hour. Holy crap. Yeah, we've been yapping for an hour. <laughs> Hell yeah. I appreciate it. Um, so let's, let's dive into it. Obviously 
the people are here for you, your projects, what you're doing. Uh, I am going to plug just one more thing for US Arc. For those that don't know or those that have missed it, we are sponsored by VivTech. So all of my sales until the Arlington show in September through VivTech, through the sponsorship, all of that money will be donated to US Arc during the Arlington auction. So if you guys are looking for any products through VivTech, whether it be snake bags, the bulbs, the sensors, anything they have right now, I do have a code. I'll have it posted down below. Check that out. Go get your products. Whatever comes to me goes directly back to US Arc. Hell yeah. Um, so Bob, you you have an insane amount of projects. Um, the ones that I'm now focused on like three or four really closely, but uh, let's talk about some of your favorite projects and what, what you see in them that make you love them so much. You're like so focused on those at this time. So um, the main one that everyone's asked me about is voodoo. Um, The project's named after my last name, Bob Vu. Um, We found this animal uh, in 2016. We started, um, it was an African wild-caught animal. We bred it out, proved it was genetic. Uh, it was a granite-type animal. It has a very wild interaction with Lucy complex animals. So this year, we made a clown version. We made Desert Ghost version. We're going to go ahead and make hats for hypos, ultramels, and all that stuff. Uh, and we really just tapped the surface of the – because obviously, when you've got a new project, the last thing you want to do or first thing you want to do is plug it to everything. The fear of plugging it to everything is that it sucks or it's not genetic. And you just made a bunch of wholesale animals, right? Right. So obviously I didn't I, – I was just starting in 2016. I was just starting full time. I'm not going to breed this dinker male from Africa to all my good females. So I ended up uh, just breeding it to um, – I think the first year I bred it to a lesser Enchi and a Mojave just to see if it's a leucistic animal or will it make a white snake, stuff like that. Uh, and then the following year, I started. I went ahead and bred it to a leopard clown. We made heads, and we finally made visuals this year. Um, so I think that's a really strong project for me. Uh, people have been very supportive of the project. I have zero animals for sale, so don't ask. Um, I have like two clutches that are dropping for them um, that we're about to start uh, incubating. I think the females do delay tomorrow. Uh, so I'll have them coming, but literally the, the community has been so supportive of this project. You can see there are certain guys where I post like new projects and people just rip them up, on. right? Yeah. Oh, oh. Um, so uh, a lot of guys will post these new projects and the community just doesn't accept it. And a lot of times it's about marketing. First of all, it's about the marketing of the project. And do not release a project if you've literally done one clutch with it. Oh, look, it's visual. Boom. I'm going to release it and name it something ridiculously awesome. And then don't, oh my God, I, I can't stand some of the naming. Some of these guys named their projects so such bad naming. And I was like, so naming is important. Talk to a professional. Talk to a mentor before you decide to name something crazy. Um, but also work the project a little bit, you know, like make sure it's genetic. Make sure it's not a Lucy complex, a yellow belly complex. Uh, make sure there's not another gene already out there named that that animal, you know, like he's releasing another spider or something. You know, so, (laughs) so, you know, you want to, you want to test it out, breed it to a few different things and make sure, you know, it's, it's not allelic or is there a super form is, is the recessive going to be good? You know, 
Uh, is it a Lilic with Clown, just like the Cryptic was, you know? And, and how does that work? And how are you gonna, are you able to articulate that to to people? And uh, so that's why I feel like the Voodoo was well done for me. Uh, give myself in the pat on the back. I waited two years before I released any info on it, before I told anybody. Um, I, you know, two two full seasons of producing babies from them, and that they are viable babies. There's no kinks or anything like that. Um, and then another big project for me, uh, along with everybody in the industry, is obviously Desert Ghost. I've been very, very, very fortunate to get into the project a little bit earlier than most. Um, Jeremy Smith, a good buddy of mine, offered me a Desert Ghost pied in 2017. Oh, wow. And I looked at the animal. I said, cool, it's a good looking animal. And he was asking, uh, not even close to what it's going for now. Okay, not even what it's going for now. He was offering it to me for cheaper than that. And I said, nah, I don't see it. Okay. And I, I literally look back and go, man, I'm so stupid. Every time. Because the very next year, 2000, uh, I think the following year, yeah, 2018, I called him. I said, hey, man, do you have a Desert Ghost Pied mail I can buy? And he goes, yeah, they're $10,000. I go, well, they were less last year. And he goes, that's what they're going for. And I, I paid him $10,000. I got my mail. And that has been my one of my strongest animals, strongest purchases uh, literally in, in my career is I paid $10,000 for a Desert Ghost Pied mail. And I wanted to talk about this on Tuesday in my videos. And I didn't because I didn't do a video because I've been forgetting to. Um, how to get into a $10,000 project and why and how to justify the return on investment. Okay. That's very important for new keepers. Because anyone that thinks about $10,000 snakes is a huge investment, That's right? right. Uh, and what if you, you bought them out? So, so how justify that? Uh, a $10,000 snake, in, in my opinion, my humble opinion, for anyone that's getting into this, even if you break it down to a $2,000 or $1,000 snake, how can you justify that price is what you have in the pipeline for him? And, and the projected value of his clutch next year, the year after, and the year after. So if I pay $10,000 for a Desert Ghost Pied male, and I know I have five breeder single gene pied females from a single gene, okay. how can you justify that? Okay, if you know Pied Head Desert Ghost females are going for $2,500, Pied Head Desert Ghost males going for $1,000, you can breed that desert ghost pied male to all five of your females. Let's say you only get 60% fertility rate. You get three clutches. You average seven eggs per clutch. Okay. You get 21 babies that are pied head for desert ghosts. 50, 50 odds. You're going to get 10 females that you'll keep all 10 females. If you wanted to, uh, you will sell all 10 males at for $10,000. You've recouped all your money. Uh, you can sell a few females. Let's say you sell four of those females. Now you're in for $10,000. You've already made double your money and you got six holdback females. That's only if you get very average numbers, right? Seven eggs, three out of five. I was lucky my first year, my first breeding with him, I got 11 eggs out of a big pie female. I made all my money back in that first clutch. Um, so that's how you justify a $10,000 purchase or $5,000 purchase, how, however you do it. But have a plan. If you're going to spend $10,000 on a male, have your females already growing. You already have something to breed them to because the worst thing that can ever happen to you if you spend $10,000 on a male, Sit he gets to it. 800 grams and he sits on a shelf and collects Sit dust. On it, bro. <laughs> right? And you're just watching his value drop and drop and drop and drop because everyone else is breeding their $10,000 male and yours is sitting on a shelf because none of the girls are ready. You know, so have a plan for that. 
And then one thing I want to uh, explain also on your, your return on investment is that return on investment cannot just be what you paid on that male uh, or female, right? Let's say you spent $1,000 on a female ball python, okay? And we know based on numbers is roughly is going to take about a thousand days for that ball python to lay eggs. A female ball python, about 1,000 days after hatching is going to be your average of laying eggs. So you're looking at two and a half, almost three years. Let's say it costs you about $10 a week maintenance. Uh, that's between feed, bedding, your time. Remember, you got to count your time. You can't just be like, well, my time's free. It's not. Nobody's time's free. Okay. Let's say it costs you $10 a week to keep that animal on the shelf, fed, cleaned, water, bedding, all of that. So in three years, you have $1,500 roughly into that animal in bedding and in food. Now that, that $1,000 investment is now a $2,500 investment. So that is how you adjust why you should buy a higher end female. Why do you need to buy a $1,000 snake? Well, if you're going to buy a $250 female, that's the same $1,500 that went into her when, she, when she's breeding. You spent $250 on a female. Three years later, you have $1,750 into that snake to make a clutch. Or you can spend $1,000 and then have $2,500 into a snake to produce a clutch, which you'll make five times the amount of money on or four times the amount of money on. So that's something people have to start uh, getting used to in a business sense. If you're a hobbyist, it honestly does not matter because at the end of the day, if you break even, doing good because you're a hobbyist you know uh but if you're at a business level and you're you're looking at okay how much money does it cost me to keep an animal on the shelf how much for me it doesn't cost ten dollars because remember the larger scale you go everything you buy gets a little cheaper right because you're buying cocoa by the pallet you're buying um deli cups by the pallet everything's by the pallet uh your time gets a little bit cheaper because you can clean a lot faster you can go through a lot quicker your rats get cheaper because you're producing it yourself or you're buying it wholesale but at a smaller level, 100 animals, it actually costs more money to maintain 100 animals. So you got to take that into account and calculate that in if you're going to go, okay, I'm going to go buy a $200 female and I'm going to make money off this snake. Look, you got $1,700 into that clutch on the first clutch. After every clutch from then on, the, the, the cost goes down a little bit every year because you got multiple clutches out of her. But that's the reason why you should invest in a higher priced animal. If you're doing this for business, you should go, go ahead and invest. If you're going to invest, you know what your, your, your bottom line costs, about $1,500 for three years. You know if you buy a $3,000 animal, now your cost is $4,500, but you're going to get a $20,000 clutch out of it. It's totally different numbers if you're going to get a $500 clutch out of an animal that costs two fifty. dollars right? Everyone that gets uh, buys a $250 snake, and they're like, but I made 1000 bucks off that clutch. But you still lost $300. You lost money. Yeah, you actually lost money. I, you know, People don't so, realize that, though. Like They just look at the bottom line of what they see as right. what they put out initially. Right. You, you paid $250, you pay $250 and you made $1,000 off the clutch. No, you actually lost. Money, though. Yeah, you lost $700. <laughs> yep. So that's just my little spill about uh, return on investment on big animals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how I got onto that. I, you asked me like a totally random question, and I went straight to that. I don't know why. I don't know. That was awesome, though. Yeah. Uh, that was <laughs> that's some. Oh, that's you some asked knowledge me about projects. That most people needed to hear. Yeah. We yeah. You, you asked me about projects. It's kind of yeah. weird. We oh, so one more thing about projects. Yeah. So one thing about projects, right? 
I think the ball python is going to become very niche. It's going to become very, um, let's say uh, I'm breeding um, recessive to recessive, pied to clown. Now you got combo squared, and then you breed a third recessive in there. Now you got possibility cubed, and all of a sudden you got all these numbers, 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 numbers. You're going to look for a clown pied head hypo. I don't have that project. All my clown pies are hedosanthics. And all of a sudden, my market has went from clown pies, which is like 10,000 people, but now clown pie to xanthics, only like 200 people. So I think that that's the fear of a lot of people in the market. However, uh, if you have that fear, then don't worry. Just breed the snakes that you like to look at. Then you're 100% okay with holding them all back. Girl, <laughs> then you just end up like me. <laughs> I'm there right like I, I'm super small I don't even have that many animals but the way I want to work each project I, I've now looked at okay these are the dual recessives that I need to put together to create my quads these are the quads that I need to put together to create my what is it hex hex is six I don't I don't even know that's going too far yeah that's that's um, a little far man your odds are like one out of like five thousand or something ridiculous I mean, it, it but that's the that's the point that it's going to go to because at right. some point the way we're working it right now we're not ever going to see that in our lifetime but well maybe well maybe your lifetime you maybe, maybe not bro I'm freaking old <laughs> <laughs> I'm old to be getting into this hobby this way but I'm good with it this is for my kids so that's all I care about um, I enjoy it they seem to enjoy it and if it goes and they take it over and it's something they carry on throughout their you lifetime. know. You know, Sean Bradley warned me of this years ago when I first got into the industry. He goes, eventually, we're going to have a show called, uh, you know, a ball python show. And on the snake, on the table, nothing's labeled. You just put, this is the pairing. And this is how much money I want for the snake. And you buy it as whatever you think it is. It's gray. Right? I bred a six-gene animal to a three-gene animal. The babies are gray. I want $600 for it. Like, you know, you just pay based on whatever you think it is, based on your expertise. I don't think it'll get to that point because we've been lucky um, that the guys leading the industry are able to maintain the beauty of the snakes with three and two, two, three gene animals, right? Because we're able to mix new stuff. I mean, sunsets have barely been touched, right? I haven't even seen an Xanthic sunset. And you know, that's a two gene animal we haven't even seen yet, you know, so monsoons, sunset, all these new genes are coming out. We're able to make cool combos with two, three gene animals, confusions. I think I've seen maybe be in the double digits, hypo confusions that's been produced. Uh, you know, confusion clowns, conf confusion pies, you know, it's very few of each of those combos. So I think we just still scratching that surface on these animals. Um, However, you know, in my kid's lifetime, you know, when, when after I've retired doing this, good luck IDing some of this stuff, man. For that, right. Sorry for those kids in about 10 years. Good luck IDing some of the clutches. Because uh, right now, I'm having a difficult time IDing stuff that people send me. They'll just pair, like, some of the most ridiculous pairing, and they'll be like, hey, can you help me ID this? And I'm like, I actually haven't done that pairing myself. Um, you know, I, I, haven't, I haven't even tried that. So it's, it's tough because everyone knew – can buy a three gene animal and breed it to a four gene animal. That's the beauty of this industry. Um, when I was first getting in, uh, pastels were $500. You're breeding a one gene to a one gene. But now for 500 bucks, you can buy a three, four gene animal, throw it to a three, four gene animal. And then you'll have a bunch of gray snakes that you'll ask me to ID. And I'll say, maybe it's all of it. Who knows? You know, so. But that's the beauty of it. Everyone gets to make cool snakes for about a thousand bucks. That's. 
that's where the industry has gotten. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's an interesting process, man. Like I, I, I think that a lot of people have, have the heart to want to do it. And then they run through the heartache and that's, what's either going to make you or break you. And we, we've talked about that a little bit and it's, it's really about whether you, this is going to sound bad, whether you want to nut up and do it, or if you want to just take the easy road and let it go. Cause you're going to have a ton of heartache before. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're going to have your wins and obviously you need your wins to keep pushing you forward, but you don't realize the amount of kind of bullshit kind of like you were talking about when you first got in, right? Like you, you had to deal with racism and you had to deal with stupid shit when you first came in or, being told you're not going to make it. Like I, I remember being told by so many people, like you, you shouldn't even go into ball pythons, man. Like why, right. why do you want to keep these? You're not going to ever make any money. You're right. not going to ever do anything. You're wasting your time. Like don't waste your years. Just like go, go buy real estate or something. And it was like, right. and I mean, I'm, I'm going to go that way too, eventually, because I enjoy that too. Like I, I, that's part of my problem. Hey, can you see the chats from your screen? I can. Can you not? Uh, was it? Can you say? Tell me who who just said earlier, like good stuff or something, good info. That was Mr. Gundy. Right? Oh my God. Yeah. Hello. We, we have one of the living legends here. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, super happy. I was trying not to break you out of your. Speech, well, I saw it pop going, up, and I'm like, that can't super, be real, right? Yeah, I got super happy. I, yeah, I, I saw that pop up, and I'm like, that's not real. I, I screenshot it one time. <laughs> he commented on one of my animals. Hey, Brian, uh, big fan. But uh, he's, he commented on one of my animals on uh, Instagram, and I screenshotted it, and I posted it on Facebook. I was, like, so, like, starstruck by it because I, uh, I used to watch all of his videos. I watched, like, every video he posted back then. Like just like trying to learn stuff back then, so that's kind of a kind of awesome. But uh, trying to piggyback on what you're saying, like really the crowd that you get in with or your mentor really determines a lot of how far you're gonna go in this, right? Because the boa guys and the retic guys really hate us. I mean, they don't really hate us, but re they really bully bully us a little bit, right? I see a lot of like, oh, those aren't even real snakes. Like real real men keep retics and stuff like that. So I've, I've gotten a lot of that crap when I first started, you know, like, oh, why even getting ball pythons? You know, boa guys always think they're cooler than us because they are. But, you know, like so. But again, we're in it for the genetic diversity. Ball pythons just, again, uh, gives you a better base, a better uh, platform for the, the mutation mix. And again, ball python guys kind of need that quick um, return. Right. I want to breed in three years. Boa guys, they'll be they'll wait five, six years before they even pair an animal. Oh, that's like a, a lot of patience, too. right? That's a lot of patience. You got to let that go a minimum of five years, right? Jeez, Ball pythons, five six months in, you're breeding a male. You know, like you're you're slinging males in at four hundred grams sometimes. You know, so ball python Bro, guys a little bit different. That ain't even, no. I've, I've I've heard horror stories of like two fifty to three hundred grams, and like, hey, it was producing sperm. I dogs. would I was, never. I was only I, throwing it to one female, so yep. it's all good. Oh, I killed it. I need another one. Well, what the f did you think? His peens fell happen? off at 250 grams. Right. <laughs> oh, he got squashed because the female was 4,000 grams. Yeah, yeah. I've heard all the horror stories. But yeah, I think the crowd that you get in with, um, like, I, I feel like the ball python game is a little bit clicky, which I think is fine. It's, it's great because when people say it's clicky, that means you just have a lot of support, right? Uh, when I go to Texas, 
those guys are clicky. Like there's a Texas click, right? All those guys is like in that I don't little know what island. You're talking about, bro. You know exactly what I'm talking about, what right? So there's like this little Texas click. Like all these Texas guys hang out. They're super cool, right? They, you know, they do all this cool group stuff together. And uh, but the pro- the thing about that people don't see is that means they have a lot of support. Each one of those guys, if anything were to happen, they can reach out to any of those guys in that circle and get help. Just like Georgia, we have our own clique. You know, we all meet up and do our meetups and stuff. But that means if any of these guys call me and said, hey, man, we lost power for two days. Can we move all of our animals to your place? I'll go ahead and set them up a quarantine room and slide all their animals in here because that's part of you're part of the clique. Right. But so I think each one of these little little group niche groups um, is good for the community. Sure, don't be exclusive and don't let people join your clique or whatever, but form your own clique if you wanted to. Uh, honestly, uh, just find you and your 10 best friends and that do snakes, right? Uh, trust me, you message people and they'll just accept you in. The reptile community is one of the most accepting groups I've ever been in. Um, yes, there are some assholes, but for the most part, even when I came to Texas, I came to Texas and they took me bull riding on my first trip there. I, I flew in. They're like, you want to go ride a bull? And I'm like, oh, that sounds great. It's it's absolutely terrible, actually. Um, and I was like, yeah, everyone does this, right? No, they don't. It's, it was just me being dumb enough to 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 listen to these guys. And they put me on. Honestly, it was a great time. Um, crazy experience. And I at least get to tell people I rode a bull once in my life. But uh, the Texas crowd really accepting, right? They have their click. And then I came in, they're just like, yeah, come on, join us. And they just took us out. And so these little groups, if you're able to get into one of these little groups, um, you know, uh, or form your own group, that is what's going to help you push through when your female slugs out or power goes out for three days. Uh, you couldn't get rats for a month. Uh, I've, I've been through it. Uh, we didn't have rats for a month. And I would drive two, three hours, whichever way, whoever had rats for me, I was driving. I would drive down to Florida, pick up rats and whoever had it, I was picking it up. But because there's these little groups that will are willing to do it, you know, like, Hey, yeah, we'll, we'll pull together and get 200 rats for you. And they, they manage, we manage, you know, cause uh rat shortage will really put you out of business quick. You know? So I think uh, the, the crowd that you get into is going to determine your success in this industry and your ability to maintain and build good relationships is, uh, it's actually probably just as important as your animals, you know? So. That's one of the huge things too, is you, you, I mean, with going with that, you, you have your groups, but you also, you give back so much. Like you're a sponsor of the show me show, correct? I sponsor anybody, dude. I'll spon- uh, if you're trying to do something good for the community, I'll sponsor uh, you. I'll sponsor they, they anybody. Came here and I was like, Oh hell yeah, man. That, yeah. That's cool. Like I've, so we finally have a local show here. Like not, I'm not going to lie. I, I was a little bitter for a while. Like all the good shows, I have to drive 10 plus hours to get to. Right. And with, with kids, it's not the most fun drive. Right. But you do it. You you do what you got to do. Right. Um, we do have a couple of other shows that are within like five or six hours, but um, they're super, they're super clicky and there's a lot of hots and my kids are still super young and don't yep. understand. Hey, don't put your, even if you say it multiple times, they, they want to point at the snake. And I was, I'm just not comfortable going to those shows because of that. Right. And, uh, so we finally have one here. It does carry hot. So my kids don't get to go to that show, but I, I've got to work with Mickey really close and we're working to develop it here locally. It's something I've thoroughly freaking enjoyed lately. Um, it's actually become one of my, uh, 
I don't even know how to say it. Like pet projects is okay. How, how big can I grow this before I finally leave El Paso? Because there hasn't been a show here until he came last December for over 10 years. And right. building, building the local community is important, right? That's where every, uh, no matter where you're at. And some, unfortunately for some of our, our, you know, our members is like, uh, they don't have a good local community. If you're in a Hobunk town somewhere that's not major, you're probably not getting a good show. But if you're willing to drive within two, three hours, there's a show somewhere within two, three hours of you most of the time. But, um, but honestly, the excitement is 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 being saved for the big shows, right? Everyone looks forward to Arlington, St. Louis, and I like that. I like that everyone just kind of saves all their money and all their excitement for these auctions and their big shows. Um, that's what we're going to end up doing is is just hit these big shows up and make it big, make it major. I don't know if you heard, but some of our uh, extracurricular activities um, after the shows, you know, we try to save it all up. And when we see our friends, you know, me and Josh finally get together, we try to do something big and just go out and have a good time. You know, we, um, yeah, you work all, you work hard all day. dude, I was, I was in the same hallway. I heard you guys running up and down the hallway at the last Arlington. Oh, you should have just, arrows. you should have just came out and been like, all right, uh, I'm coming. Just jump in the van. Next time, honestly, just come out and jump in the I gotta van. Keep and keep mama happy. Like, yeah, I, I got to keep mama happy at the show. Oh yeah. We, yeah. I guess it's not quite PG 13. Um, what we, <laughs> Good Christian family over here. Yeah. Oh, he's going to have a good time. Nothing, nothing crazy, too, too crazy happens. Like every now and then we lose a, we lost Kendall for like five hours one time. Um, it's okay. A cougar returned him. Um, someone just <laughs> returned him to us and just said, hey, here's your Kendall back. And we're like, all right, cool. We found him. Uh, so it's, we have a good time. No, but like literally uh, the sponsorships and all of that, man. Uh, we've been, we've been put in a good position. We've been put in a good place, uh, financially and in the community, uh, status, I guess, whatever, you know, people want to call it popularity or whatever, where if our sponsorship helps out, uh, somebody that's, um, starting up, I'm, I'm always willing to help, you know, I'll sponsor anybody that thinks that is, thinks they can do this and is willing to uh, help the community, you know, with you say with Mickey, he's trying to, um, set shows in areas that don't have shows before he raised a ton of money for USARC, um, annually with the door the door and the auctions um so he's willing to help you start and that's that's all i want to do so uh, i'm willing to sponsor anybody that that wants to help out uh the industry you know because uh, i can't do it all myself but i'm willing to put my name on it if um if you're if you're doing the right thing for it you know and uh i've been lucky that every every project we've done to raise money like last year we did a project to raise money for uh, toys for tots um everybody just kind of send me their money. Um, you know, we raised over $7,500, I think for uh, toys for tots. We raised $10,000 for Australia when the fire was happening. And then people just come together, man. When you see tragedy and, or whatever, people come together. When that Texas thing happened, um, Josh Lumberg, uh, you know, Josh Jackie Lumberg was, uh, he, he messaged me and he said, Hey, do you want to do something for the, the group? And I said, Hey, we're not even from there, but hell, if it if we can raise money just based on our name, let's do it. And we managed to raise thirty thousand dollars for Texas, and uh, just by you know, really, it, it takes ten minutes of my day to type up something. It doesn't it doesn't take much, you know. People think we sit there all day on Facebook, which I, I mean I do, but um, it only takes ten minutes to raise some money for some of these causes. So why wouldn't I do that, you know? Um, and I wish everybody everybody in the community could uh, could see it and come together, um, and we'd be a whole lot stronger if we did, you know. That's one of the things I love about the ball python community too. It's like as much as we get shit on by everybody, 
at times. We get a lot of and shit, like, yeah. As much as we shit on each other at times. Yeah. Like, even, and I'll say it, like, you guys, I'm not perfect. I have picked on Bob just because it's Bob. and I'm an easy target. Well, we're we're getting a better relationship, and that's how yeah. you know I actually give a fuck about All you right. is I pick on you. And I was like, man, what is that? Like, your seventh, seventh, eighth plate today? You I mean, I've been, small, I've been burning bro. through it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll throw punches every now and then just to, I mean, it is what it is, right? You, you pick on the people you care about. Right. If, honestly, if you, I feel like if you don't say anything to me at all, I feel like I'm like, what's up with this guy, you know? And I feel like people who do come up to my table and at least joke a little bit, I know at least you like me. So, exactly, bro. That's what I love about it. And, but like, I was, uh, I got, I got sidetracked. I got all excited. <laughs> um, so, even though we get shit on, that that's the thing you can always count on the ball python community to do, is yep. we always come together regardless of what the cause is, who it who it's with. Like there's there's times where you support causes you might not necessarily like the person, but they went through a bad situation, and we don't wish ill on anyone in this industry. Like we right. come together and we deal with it, whether it be cancer, whether it be deaths in the family, or with Texas, like so many people lost their full collections uh right but jt a couple of years back he lost his full collection to a fire when he was on the road to a reptile show like there's there's just so many things that happen and like even with me last year like i i worked my butt off to create a rodent collection so that i could finally expand and I, i've become one of the major rodent distributors here but last summer i didn't have the ability to keep an AC was the issue. And I, I thought everything was set up for it. I did everything right. I looked into getting mini splits and things like that didn't happen because the breaker and the wiring was set up right. So I lost literally all my rodents after I built uh, probably eight, nine racks full of rodents and to lose everything in one day, like within right. an hour, it was just like freaking insane had to drive four hours right after Chris recovered from losing all his from the freeze. He's like, just come here from a uh, snake He let me come into his home while he was in the middle of moving. Mind you, <laughs> like dude, dude has a great heart. He's like, here, get yourself set up. Let me know what you need. And he's always there to help. And that's, that's the thing that I love. One about the Texas people, but the ball python people in a whole, we always come together. We always help each other any way we can. Right. And you don't really see that in every avenue. Like you, you're fortunate enough to have really good people in different niches within reptiles that all kind of have the same mindset. But within ball pythons, you're always going to see that, I think. as long And as long as we keep pushing that mindset, I think right. you're going to continue to see it. I don't want to say we bully people into it. Uh, but we a little bit, right? Like I feel like last year we kind of did with USARC. Like we're like, hey, if you're not a USARC member, you're kind of a douchebag. Well, and, it, um, it did go from uh, what'd you say? I think it was like fifteen to seven thousand. Yeah, like, it we're went like, from hey, fifteen hundred to seven thousand in a year. All right, so we, we we pushed that job. pretty hard. Um, I I went to Daytona and I gave us a, a small speech about it. Like, look, man, we got fifteen hundred members. There's like ten thousand retic keeper members in on Facebook. So I know. There's got to be that we need at least 10,000 members. And uh, I feel like I don't want to say we're bully people into it, but like we set expectations for, it. you know, like we expect you to 
to, to, to step up when a catastrophic event happens. We expect the community to come together. And because we set those expectations, people just do it. You know, when we did the, um, the auctions for Texas or any of those, those fundraisers, I expect people to, to step up and, and raise money. Look, man, I make, a, I make a stupid amount of money breeding ball pythons. It might, it might not be a lot of money to other people, but to me, it's such a stupid amount of money that I make for doing what I love that it's okay for me to give that money back. You know, like I don't need all that money. Honestly, I don't need all that money. So I just give it back because people are paying me such stupid money for one ball python. You know, like almost paying $5,000 for a ball python just because it looks different. Come on, man. But because they're, I'm able to make all this money doing what I really enjoy, it's okay to give it back. And because we expect this from all the ball python breeders, I seem, uh, it seems like we expect this, right? Something bad happens, we expect guys like Justin and Miguel to step up. So they do it. So I do it. And then all of a sudden, now you got these new breeders. Uh, I had a guy come over here buy a snake the other day. And uh, he only has 20 ball pythons. He bought his first 20 ball pythons. And he whips out his phone to show me that he has a gold member with USART. And I have made a post about it a long time ago. And I said, as long as you keep a, a membership with USARC, you're guaranteed a discount with me. Guaranteed a discount. I don't care what membership you have. You're a USARC member. You're guaranteed a discount. He whips out a phone. He has 20 ball pythons as a gold membership with USARC. Because we expect people to come in to make money out of this industry to give back to the industry. You're making a bunch of money. You should return some of it and help the industry, help the people of the industry. You know, like you like you mentioned, cancer, death, whatever, fires. Uh, we just expect people to step up. So once we set those expectations, people just step up. And uh, it's kind of nice. But speaking of expectations, my wife expects me up at the, in there uh, now that it's 1030. I was about to say you <laughs> the same thing. My wife's <laughs> like, we need to put the kids to bed. Hey, we can resume this another time, man. Yeah, yeah, I got so sure. much to say we, about we reptiles. Two. We were going to talk about projects. We didn't even, we talked about the voodoo. Yeah. <laughs> we, we circled back to US Arc. Yeah. I we mean, talked about is, voodoo and I'm like, I went off like on a tangent about like <laughs> ROI. So that was kind of bad. But um, yeah, we will try to set like a, yeah. a bullet point to follow next time. Yeah, or maybe it's more fun this way. I don't know. We need an outline, guys. Yeah. Send in your outline. Uh, guys, make sure you give Bob a lot of love. Uh, he's, like I said, a genuinely good dude to put up with the short term stuff that I gave him and to, meet it and to put up with this for this long. I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate everything you do for this community. I look forward to a round two eventually, uh, you guys. And I hope you enjoyed it. Josh Jackie is our guest next weekend. So I'm sticking. All with right. the click. Hell yeah. You know, you know, hell yeah. That's how we're going to do it. You guys have a great weekend. You stay blessed. Make sure you support us art description down below. Go get that membership. Love you. Oh. We'll see you next time. All right, guys. Bye. Oh, how do I leave? Oh, there it is. You good. Later, bro.